0: Welcome to Return of the Hack, the discussion series that brings you cyber stories behind the technology. I'm your host, Neil Langridge, and I'm joined today by Lewis Duke, Senior Cybersecurity Engineer at Trend Micro. We explore threat intelligence, what it actually is, and how organisations can effectively use it as part of their cyber defences. Hi everyone, I'm Neil Langridge from E92 Plus. Welcome to the latest edition of the Return of the Hack video podcast. So I'm joined today by Lewis from Trend Micro and we're going to be talking about threat intelligence. Hi Lewis, nice to meet you.
1: Hi Neil, nice to be here.
0: Thanks very much for, for coming on. So if you want to give us a little bit of background about what you do at Trend.
1: Yeah, certainly, yeah. So, my um, name's Lewis Duke. i currently working at Trend Micro as a uh, security Engineer specialising in SOC services, um, but my history is more uh, operational. So, I've worked in a, a number of different SOCs, uh, government and telco, um, and my previous role was actually around threat intelligence um, and setting up a threat intelligence function for uh, a large UK telco. So, that's what I'm here to talk to you about today
0: yeah absolutely so i mean i think we'll start with the 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 kind of question that i think probably quite a few people have heard of threat intelligence have come across it um but i think there's lots of interpretations as to what it actually is so what is threat intelligence
1: yeah great question um and one that we could probably spend a full hour discussing and debating. Um, but the real short answer, I suppose, is threat intelligence is information that enables people to make decisions. Uh, so if we look at um, what constitutes intelligence, um, it's multiple different um, data points that then enable you to make a decision. So when we talk about threat intelligence and cyber threat intelligence, we are looking at data and information that combined can answer a question on is this malicious um so for example a url um, of a known command control if we know it's used for command and control we've got a url we know it's command and control that's no intelligence. we know that url is malicious for this reason um so yeah real simple it enables you to make a decision off the back of it um If we then go deeper, there's different tiers of intelligence. We can look at at, at tactical, operational and strategic intelligence. What most of us are probably exposed to is more the tactical element, um, quite immediate, quite technical. Um, And this is where we're looking at things like URLs, uh, as indicators of compromise, Um, say, IFCs throughout this. Um, That's what it means, indicators of compromise, so URLs, file hashes, IPs, very immediate things that typically, you know, we deploy to our firewalls, to our intrusion prevention systems, we're blocking, we know they're bad. That's when we look at at, at, uh, tactical intelligence. When we move up and we look at operational intelligence, this This is where we start zooming out almost and we're looking at the bigger picture, so we're not just looking at you know, the the little nitty-gritty, we're actually starting to look at attribution, you know, who's actually behind the attacks? We're seeing all these IPs are originating from Russia. Maybe it's a Russian threat actor. And this then enables us to start making decisions around, well, how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect the business? If we're talking about Russian cybercrime, then realistically, most of us are fair game. But if we think, actually, this is more linked to a threat actor that's maybe active in South America, Mm we haven't seen much targeting outside of South America. And we're based in europe we can then start to go okay they might be a threat but they're not a threat to us they're not a threat to our sector so we can start making decisions and not you know deploying a load of you know quite intrusive security controls to you know to protect us against this particular threat sector, because we don't need to um when we go to the top level um strategic intelligence this is where it gets really quite difficult and, and quite resource intensive this requires an awful lot of human um input um, and this is where we're starting to predict if you like the future um we're looking at trends within a uh, threat actors, so cyber criminals for example we're looking at how they're deploying their tools what tools they're deploying and this is where we start looking at providing value to CISOs to board level we're directing business decisions where should you be investing what's going to be happening what's happening on that threat horizon um so, yeah so I so most of us will, will be involved at that tactical level but there are plenty of other variables to consider um, yeah that would be how I would describe threat intelligence in um, a not so little nutshell
0: no no thank you that's really good and I suppose the kind of key thing is it, it shows that it can come from a lot of different areas there's a there's a huge amount it's it's being able to pull it put it all together so I suppose kind of firstly it can kind of come from from different vendor technologies um, in terms of kind of part of the product or a service and obviously kind of trend micro kind of provide a threat intelligence offering but i suppose it can also come across from from other parts of an organization from other different kind of solutions not just cyber security but also from kind of external sources so you know just you know kind of in terms of the different feeds and and information come in what other what other ways can can it come in because you know things kind of people like kind of Uh, Like the NCSC, for example, is that, you know, kind of National Cybersecurity Center in the UK? Do you get those threat intelligence feeds from kind of lots of other different places? And I suppose how easy is it an organization to be able to to be able to practically do that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, you're quite right. It comes from so many places. Um, As as vendors, you know, even we collate intelligence from, you know, different locations before then providing that out to our customers. But if we look at at kind of the the places where intelligence originates from, um, an awful lot of it originates from just everyday people, okay? So what your computer sees, you know, know, your home computer with, you know, um, an endpoint protection, anti-malware on, when that finds something malicious, that will then be sent off, you know, to a wider database and says, this is malicious. Um, You know, there are... um, urls such as url scan uh, virus total in you know, massive databases that essentially are just logging this is known malicious um and as i say those feeds are coming from everywhere it can be from you know my personal computer here to an, an organization uh, so for example trend micro we've got our smart protection network so we're analyzing um so many different a day, it's put a number on but i think in there, so far in 2022 we've something like 63 billion threats have been blocked well, it's not protection, that's just an idea of the numbers yeah. um, that are being analysed. Um, but when we get all of this information, we then feed it back down, OK? And an organisation can get stuff from a vendor, so, you know, you can sign up to Trend Micro and get ours. But equally, you there are like, threat intelligence sharing communities, um, and they're sector-wide Um So, from a previous experience i I had the privilege of working um, with telco sharing communities Um, and some of those are more local so they're you know they're like-minded businesses working together sharing information on attacks that they've seen maybe they've been targeted or um they've had a, a a breach and they actually then are able to share some of those um artifacts and how that breach occurred to then better protect the others because if one organisation is getting hit by a threat actor, it stands to reason that the, the others have at least been targeted, have been assessed by the threat actor. Um, so that's one way. Um, and then equally, you mentioned uh, the NCFC. Um, yes, we do get um, intelligence from there, and also from the likes of the NCA, to the National Crime Agency. Um, they're very proactive, um, and that's uh, across multiple sectors. Um, obviously. Receiving intelligence and passing out, they are aware of campaign-specific targeting. Then they will work with those organisations um, to try and help them either shore up the defences before the attack comes, or certainly let them know they're being targeted in case they're not seeing the targeting going on. Um, but yeah, in answer to where does it come from? Absolutely everywhere is 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 the best answer. Um, even something that you think is non-important, when you actually then add it into a bigger database of information, you can actually change, ah, well that gives us attribution, That, that oh, that little, you know, little nuggets like, for example, times that, that an attack might occur, might sound, you know, what, what does it matter if it attacked at 7am or 7pm, well actually one of the things it can give you, well it can actually go, well they're attacking within these hours, that's not European working hours, yeah. those working hours actually look more, more like they could be coming from Russia. And you can start then going well but maybe although all the ips are linked to south america when we look at the timings of the attack it can actually sway how you look at something so yeah it comes from everywhere and everything is important even if it seems unimportant at the time
0: yeah it's definitely an element of of being able to understand better kind of context and and all of the pieces of the puzzle so i suppose the the broader you can have uh, your threat intelligence feeds the the better, um, understanding you can have of the broader context and, and build those patterns and that behavior and, and, and put that puzzle together to see where everything comes from. I think it shows the importance of of scale um, and therefore of sharing as well. I mean, I, you know, I think kind of, you know, obviously a lot of kind of products are naturally proprietary, but the more we can share the threat intel, it, it kind of makes the whole info security community stronger by default because we can all reinforce each other's learnings and experience.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And it's something I've I've always been a, a big advocate of is is sharing. Um, and I get it. it's very difficult. Okay, you know, certainly in in certain sectors where you know data privacy and security is absolutely paramount. And you know, the other organisations in your sector, in your vertical, almost your they're your, your competition. You don't want to give them the advantage. Um, but equally, when it comes to cyber cybersecurity, it's, it's everyone's problem yeah you know, it, it's not just your problem it's not just my problem it's everyone and i think as a community we all need to work together um you know we, we look at the we look at a threat actor they're not static okay they're developing just as quickly as we are sometimes more quickly um you know i think conti with the the big ransomware group that had their um their chat um released back end of last year i think some of the the data we gleaned from that is their salaries were six million pounds they had in salaries that they were paying to the you know the various departments of this organization that's a lot of money how many organizations are investing six million pounds in their science security defenses you know and i think if we when you start looking at the scale um of the threat actors that you know, we're all facing now, you know be they geopolitical nation-state actors, cyber criminals, or lone wolves who now have access to so many offensive tools at the click of a finger. They just need to log onto the right forum and have enough money, and they can buy the ransomware, the initial access, they can even get a negotiator involved. Um, Yeah, we've got to work together, otherwise we're never going to stay ahead of them. Um, So yeah, sharing for me is fantastic. And coming from the operational background, um, you know, even when working in the MAD, the sharing that happens even a- across teams, you know, not even between organisations, but across teams to be able to actually have that joined up response. Um, you know, if you, if you look at some of the large campaigns that have gone on, um, if we didn't have you know, sharing between organisations and certainly across sectors, I think our response would have been much worse. You know, But when we look at large scale campaigns, being able to share what we're seeing as separate organizations and then actually sharing how we're dealing with that is so powerful um i think one thing that i've certainly learned in my time in in the security industry um is that assumptions are killer right we all assume that oh yeah that's they'll know that of course they'll know that that's just common knowledge a lot of the time it really isn't it really isn't um assumed knowledge um i've I've fallen for it many times and I still do. Um, but yeah, just assuming that, oh, so-and-so that organization, they'll never have to deal with that. They might not, you might have a way of dealing with something. And it might just be something really simple. Oh, we're just looking for this event log. And this actually gives us this, this, you know, visibility of, of this particular exploit and sharing that with another organization is the difference between them being hit or not being hit. Um, so yeah. Again, I can probably tell I'm quite passionate (laughs) on that subject. But yeah, sharing Mm. intelligence, please, where we can share. Um, You know, I'm working with a vendor now at Trend. um, So for me, it's more difficult to share um, between vendors, but certainly organisations who are looking um, to consume intelligence um, should definitely be looking within their sector um, organisations and and trying to build up those information flows.
0: Yeah. And I, I would imagine that kind of sharing has been kind of accelerated by the the rise that we've seen, as you mentioned, in nation state attacks. So I think kind of, you know, kind of historically, obviously, where, where cybersecurity started, obviously, it was kind of organizations depending their own their own networks against people. Obviously, there were cyber criminals, but lots of people just trying their luck, and it was much more ad hoc. And as you mentioned, it's evolved and matured to a whatever the kind of $6 billion industry, those numbers just keep getting bigger. You can, pretty much make up whatever number you want to an extent, it's just, we know it's big and having a six million kind of strong SOC analyst and threat defense team is, yeah, I mean, that, you know, that that sort of thing would put most enterprises to shame in terms of the investment that they're making there, which is incredible. But yeah, that rise of that that kind of nation state and the fear of, I, I was wary of using the term cyber warfare, but it gets, it obviously does get bandied about. I think and the, the potential risk as we've moved to digitize a lot of our kind of core national infrastructure and the potential risk that it has on uh, on SCADA systems and infrastructure and you know kind of the way we, we go about our, our daily lives and that you know the kind of the development and emergence of organizations like NCSC to be able to be a more public face of of you know, of, of GCHQ and what have you. I suppose, has that really accelerated that kind of more community approach, that sharing? Because it because it, it, it isn't just about, um, okay, your competitor got hit, bad luck then, but as long as we're looking after our own house. The importance of taking a more collective approach to everything.
1: Um, I think it ha- in some elements it certainly has. So knowing now, you know, the
0: organisations can
1: go to the NCSC and share and, you know, Intelligence communities are growing. There's more and more, you know, every time you look, there's more sharing communities, which is fantastic to see. Um, But equally, it's still very much, um, and I think, I mean, this goes into more psychology, but it's very much still blame culture, okay? So if you get hit with an an attack, it's, well, who do we blame? Um, And I think that whilst that culture is still around, and it's going to take a long time to, to move away from that, um, but whilst that court is still around, I think the sharing is is still going to be hindered. You know, I've come across organisations who had some fantastic intelligence they could have shared, but they didn't want to. So if they share it, they're saying, you know, oh, we're bad. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of moving away from moving away from that. And, and you know, we see it even just with things like, um, you know, simulated phishing campaigns within organisations. If we go back a couple of years, if you did a phishing campaign and you fell for it and you clicked the link, you'd get a tap on their wrist and you'd be, you know, you'd be the bad person. You'd be, you've done wrong. Whereas now we're seeing people are realizing that's not the way to do it, you know, it's gamified now. If you click on it, uh, your team's losing, this department's winning, they got the best, and that's the way to do it. It's buying into the culture. Um, and I think it starts, you know, at that level and it will work all the way up, it's, you know no one's perfect and we've been saying for a number of years now when it comes to being breached it's not a question of if it's a question of when you should always assume that you have been breached and if you haven't you're very lucky um but when we look at the sophistication of the attacks that are targeting us now it's incredible and you know what used to be you know um solely nation state tools you know, and you go, well, you, you can't protect against nation state. You know, it's always been pretty much um, a given mm-hmm. in cyber security. When you start talking about nation state actors, you go, well, not really. If they want in, they're going to get in because they have the resource, the capability, et cetera, et cetera. But when you look you know, down the ladder and we start looking at cyber criminal activity now, well, they can now get their hands on what was purely available to nation state you know you look at tools such as cobalt strike you know that was a nation state tooling well you or i could go and get that now you know half an hour i can probably have that on my machine yeah well when you start looking at now the capabilities that what were the lower threat um if anything now they're the higher threat because they're less worried about making noise they're less targeted a lot of the time it's just opportunistic right they're just there to make money that's what they're there to do and they'll make it however they can um so yeah i think almost the you know nation state and geopolitical uh cyber warfare yeah it's very much a threat but i think actually more so now it, it would be classed as that, that cyber criminal element just yeah. because of how easy they can get hold of those tools that were originally Um, And also, I think one thing, excuse me, one thing that we need to be mindful of as well is traditionally we were defending against, you know, either, um, you know, we always used to say, oh, the 16-year-old in his mum's basement, you know, I'd go out five, ten years. That was what we were talking about. Or it was opportunistic kids who just know they're really clever and they're going to target us because they can or they're learning. They want to try it. Um, Well, even those kids now have moved on and we look at how, you know, a low morph, like I mentioned earlier, how a low morph has got access to all these different elements. You know, it's a full business model now. Yeah. You know, like us, we don't have, you know, I say us as in the good guys. Um, you know, we, we, we don't all do this, everything, right? Okay. You know, I've come from networks, but typically you have an, a team that knows networking. They know networking. They can do all your switching and routing. And then you've got a team who know databases. You don't have one person doing everything. You, you split out that talent. What are you best at? Well, guess what? That's what they're doing now. Yeah. You know, we can now go, we hear as a service, and everything's as a service, as cybercrime as a service. You know, ransomware as a service, service has been, what was it, September 2019, I think, was the first big case of it with Lockbit. But even before then, Dharma was going since 2016, you could get that malware. Um, but now we've got, access as a service and we've got initial access brokers who will go and find you know the weak points in the network harvest the credentials and then put them up for sale you know you could go and launch an attack against a company with very limited knowledge you can go and get the tools you can go and get the access as i say you can either employ people to do the negotiation on your behalf Um, and now we're starting to see the rise of um reconnaissance as a service.
0: Right. So you don't
1: even have to do, you know, you don't even have to go and do anything. You can sit wherever you want to sit and have people do it all for you. So to pay them a nominal fee. And if for example ransomware they might take a percentage of your cut if you do successfully get the ransom. Um when you start looking at that as an organization, you know, as an individual organization, how can you hope to stay abreast of all the ransomware actors that are going on, all the initial access you know, people who are doing reconnaissance. Um, and it all ties back into intelligence and sharing. As a community, we've got to pull together because now the the other community, you know, the various community, is getting so big and so vast that no organisation on their own can stand to to deal with it all on their own. It's just impossible to even comprehend. You know, I think, so for Trend Michael, we've got 15 global research centres. you think, that's incredible. That's a lot of research centres, but how many different threat actors are that? You know, that's not a research centre for a threat actor. Do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. the, the the scale. You know, you said about you know you can put any number you like on it, and it's that's how it's going. It's growing. Um, yeah, it's in, it's incredible. Um, and I can only see you know the business models growing because they're working, right? You know ransomware as a service i feel that like we've been talking about it for years and it should be over and done with it's not lockbit you know we've just done some research lockbit is still one of the top prevalent yeah. ransomware actors in 2022 yeah you know, that's three years and they're still at the top of their game they're not going anywhere um you know so a lot of the time um, you know a lot of publications and blogs we can look at it and go oh yeah we're still talking about that well we're still talking about it because it's still relevant um, yeah. and it's not going anywhere um but yeah i've kind of gone off on a tangent there on on ransomware but yeah it's it's just so important um that we do pull together to to combat these threats
0: yeah absolutely and meant to be fair you know kind of as much as anything else we've seen the explosion of outsourcing and the gig economy in our everyday lives there's no reason why that shouldn't be exactly the same (laughs) in cybercrime and we're we're seeing it um and i just i just thought kind of the kind of when we're talking about the, the sharing as well i think one of the biggest challenges is the the time that we ideally want organisations, kind of you know, just normal small businesses, um, to be able to to share and contribute, is arguably when they're at that most vulnerable. You mentioned earlier about you know that challenge of nobody wants to admit that they've got breached. Um, you know, I think I think that kind of naming and shaming is improving. I think we've, I think maybe a part of that has come out for a number of reasons of people being a little bit more more honest and open. And I think the infosec communities kind of definitely I've seen a lot of maturity and improvement in that um, but I think also because we've seen the IT community increasingly targeted through supply chain attacks whether it's SolarWinds or Kaseya and the need to be very kind of open and honest and a bit more bit more humble about these things but and, and therefore kind of acknowledging that let's all not just kind of criticize and, and point fingers let's be open but the time when you want to be sharing I imagine is that right that Obviously, when you've just been hit or compromised, that's kind of, it's fresh and that's the most valuable. But that's the hardest point. When you've just been hit, the last thing you want to do is share that intel because you're feeling awful. You're, you're in a desperate panic to try and get your business back up and running. You want to, you've got to communicate to your customers, but you want to protect your organization moving forward. You've potentially still got data to restore. You're worried maybe that you might have to pay a ransom. The last thing on your mind is, okay, let me, let me act find out how I can how other people can benefit from this horrendous situation but ironically I imagine that's the time when actually some of that intel could be most valuable yeah
1: absolutely and yeah you hit the nail on the head it, it's you you feel that like you're most vulnerable and then you you're being asked to share or you feel like you should share and I think that's what it comes down to is trust right yeah. you need to be able to trust who you're sharing that intelligence with um and I think that's where government organizations like the NTSC have such an important role to play. Um it needs to be a place where you can just go and say, I've been hit and share that intelligence with them so that they can pass it out to, to other organisations. But equally, you know, you say it's a time when you should be sharing and you feel vulnerable. But when you when it comes to sharing, you might say, oh, okay, just share some IPs that you know. You haven't got to say, I've been hit with ransomware, yeah. I'm currently under ransom, everything's encrypted, I'm buggered. Help. That's not what you've got to say. You can just say, seen some uh, IPs here, we think they're malicious. Because what's to say that you don't share those, and another organization goes, oh, that was so-and-so, we dealt with it. Actually, there was a way with their encryption that we could reverse it. Yeah. You know, or, yeah, we've seen that. And then all of a sudden, you've gone from a position of being vulnerable. Well, actually, now your incident response teams can respond more effectively because they're being given more information by somebody else. So it's very much a two-way street, um, and I think organizations should not be, you know, put in that position where they think I'm vulnerable and I'm exposing my underside. You know, come mm-hmm. at me. I'm on. That's not what it's about. And it, again, it's not about blame, and it doesn't have to be I've been hit by so-and-so. It could literally just be I've seen these IPs. I think they're malicious. Or if you do know attribution, you can say, We've seen these targeting us, you haven't got to give the extent of the attack, but just those IPs, somebody else might be getting scanned um, yeah. and being able to, to go, oh, that's linked to so-and-so, might be able to take an action, and then the other organization doesn't go down. So, yeah, I, it's going to take time. Um, it, it's going to take time. You've, you've got to build trust with who you're sharing. Um, certainly, when we look at the government agencies, there's almost a more inherent trust because government right they're there to help us um but then obviously you're not sharing immediately with the organizations who might need it um so i think you've got to build trust within your within your sector um so again you know from from my background with the telco sector the way that the uk operators work together is absolutely fantastic um and even globally um but again you've got to build the trust amongst the organizations to know that a what if you receive intelligence from an organization that it's valid, because, you know, there's always that one person in you know, the crying wolf and you go, this is important, this is important. And it ends up, oh, it's not really valuable. And then you start to dismiss it. Um, and equally, you've got to trust that when you share information, it then won't be used, you know, will be shared outside of, you know, whatever confines that you, you want it to be shared. At. Um, yeah, it's all about trust. Um, and that takes a lot of time to develop.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's something that I think kind of collectively we probably need to work on and making it easier for, for organizations to yeah, do that. Well, I suppose definitely one of the, the first areas that organizations will want to be able to share. And I suppose that what's the, the best way of going about that is is we talk a lot about supply chain attacks. We've talked about you know that on one of these other uh, one of these podcasts already. Um, and I suppose that's in, in many ways because we're seeing a rise in that sort of attack. That's going to be one of the primary things that organisations will want to be able to do: is sharing it with <laughs> partners, um, sharing it with the, their, you know, if they're working with resellers, if they're working with managed service providers, um, but also kind of up and down their own supply chain. They will want to be sharing that information because if they get hit, then there's a, you know, there's got to be a good chance that they will be just one in a one in a potential chain of attack.
1: Yeah, exactly, and. Supply chain is a really, really difficult one. So for a number of years, you know, we're we're doing risk assessments on our supply chain and and how likely, and we send out forms and audits for everyone to complete to give us a likelihood. But in terms of, well, actually, how much information are we sharing between? It's very little. Um, And personally, I think there's a number of reasons why that is. Um, When you look at um, any organization, any organization at all, you know, and we look at where the security element sits. It sits around IT, cybersecurity, it's a department. Well, how much do they have to do with the, log- the logistics company? I've my teeth back in. Logistics company. They're not dealing with a logistics company IT department. That relationship doesn't exist. So when it comes to that sharing down to your supply chain, a lot of the time the relationships just aren't there. Yeah. When we talk about... Um, you know the security and, and risk audits. that's com- normally coming from separate teams and it's going into a risk management team it's not going into an it you know based team um and i think that's probably the first issue and then secondly it's back to that trust thing um if you take an organization that again i don't know from my background say telco i might trust other telcos because we're in the same we're in the same business we're doing the same thing People I probably know people in those other departments that I've got the relationships with. If I then look down that supply chain, and you look at how many different services are within that supply chain, I don't know what businesses they are. I don't know what's going on. I don't, why would I trust the logistics company yeah. to take you know sensitive information? I don't know them. I don't know what they do. I don't know how they operate. Um, and you know that's a real thing. You know you've got to have. Trust, you can't, you know, you can't just send information out because if you're sending information out too much, you're just devaluing it, right? If everyone's got access to the same IPs, then the threat acts go, oh, that IP is compromised. So there's an element of you need to share, but you can't just put it all out open. It's got to be done in a controlled manner. Um, Equally, if you've got um, a threat actor on your network, for example, sometimes you don't want to alert them to the fact that you know that they're there so again you've got to handle that very sensitively and if you've got a, a supply chain organization they might not actually even be headquarters in the same country as you and all of a sudden you've got well how do i let them know about this ip they're different they're, you know different area entirely it's a different business It's a different vertical is it relevant um you know that that's a question that i think it will take us quite a few more years i think before we we properly get down to how we share effectively with supply chain um just because you know it's such a vast entity right you know everything is supply chain if it's not your organization how many things do you consume from other companies um and one thing you know that always gets mentioned these days is there's no such thing as a non-tech company now right every single company you might make paper, you still a tech company um, because you will have somewhere, somewhere, there will be a system that relies on tech. Tech is part of your business. Um, so they are just as important as, you know, the manufacturer of the latest firewalls. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. And, we're, and we're all constantly talking about you know, the benefits of, you know, kind of cloud computing enable us to, to do more levels of integration. We don't need complex EDI systems Dating himself very very badly, but, <laughs> uh, you know. If it, it, using APIs to be able to automate transfers in terms of whether it's kind of data, its integration with marketing systems, whether it's kind of paying invoices, whatever it happens to be, um, you know, and there are real benefits for organisations being able to do that. But what that does is that 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 automates any potential vulnerability as well, because they, 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 there's now a connection between organizations applications networks um infrastructure and therefore any potential threat can very more quickly jump from from one to another
1: yeah 100 percent. and you know i think this is what so we're seeing over the last couple of years we a big rise in zero trust um and obviously technology like that is going to be incredibly important going forward because everything is so connected now like you say you know we we've given access, you know, cloud-based, okay, you know, it, it's not simple as that, but we have given everybody access to all the data. It's all there. It's just whether you've got the right credentials to access it effectively, right? <laughs> so um, technologies like the Zero Trust are, are going to be pivotal. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier, you know, when we do risk audits of our, of our supply chain, and, you know, I, I think they've got to be more inclusive, and we've got to have supply chains understanding um, the security goals of the business that they're they're supplying. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's going to be quite key. Instead of just sending fill in this form, do you have X, Y, and Z? Yeah, okay, you've met, met the minimum baseline required. That's not really giving you anything. You know, you need them to be buying into that overall security. And I think it's almost a more personal level. Instead of sending an email with a form to fill out to say whether you meet criteria, it needs to be more actually no security team to security team have that conversation um okay that's a lot more work right <laughs> so yeah. I, and it's, it slows down you know how quickly we can get a supply chain you know audited and, and configured correctly and say yep yeah, welcome welcome on board um and us humans we like to do things quickly
0: and easily don't we so we, we do and and people have less time now and, and and you kind of obviously mentioned your kind of experience at the, the telco side of things and that Kind of collaboration is is absolutely phenomenal to hear, and that's really good. But I suppose that the kind of on the the other side of the scale, if you're a if you're a, a CISO or even just an IT manager, because you're you know you're just running up the a, a small IT team at a organisation that has 250 people, all this talk about kind of competing with criminal gangs with a six million pound sock, um, and you know kind of threat intelligence feeds and and and, NCSC and, and kind of then being able to integrate and talk to your supply chain and pull in threat intel and then share back again. I suppose that, you know, my initial reaction is kind of, where do you even start with that when you don't have time, you know, when, you're, when your Monday morning has just been full of resetting people's passwords um, <laughs> or trying to deal with somebody's kind of shonky home <laughs> because they've connected to something on their, their own personal network and they're on the VPN and, and, and downloaded something that they shouldn't have done. So I suppose on a practical level, what's a good place for kind of, you know, kind of small or medium-sized organizations to be able to start? Because because there is so much potential, threat intel, you know, kind of actionable intelligence can make people, help people with quicker, smarter decisions. But the question is, is almost kind of where can you start? Because it, it's infinite. There is so much information. So it's it, it's how can we deal with this as practically as possible when we talk about skill shortages, when we talk about finite budgets, when we talk about all the challenges that the IT teams are facing right now?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, So you've got to start somewhere. Um, For a smaller organisation, it makes sense to start with a vendor. You know, I'm working for Trend, we offer it. um, Other vendors also offer threat intelligence as a service, as either part of, other security controls or separate features of intelligence because the first thing you need to understand about intelligence is that if you've just got a pool of intelligence but you can't use it well then it's not intelligence is it it's, it's just information because you, you're not able to answer questions because it's overloaded yeah. so you've got to have stuff you've got to have stuff um, information that's actionable right that's the key thing and, and you mentioned that word actionable you've got to be able to do something with it so either if if you're a smaller it organization you want to start ingesting intelligence first thing you need to ask is what questions are we trying to answer am i trying to just you know i just want to defend myself against the latest actors well in which case you probably just want a feed of you know blacklist ips um places like cisco telos do a open source black ip blacklist that you can then feed in um that's a start right you are now consuming intelligence and then you just build up from there it doesn't have to be oh okay i need a team of analysts going through and and looking at russian cyber criminals to see if we've been targeted um start little um one of the great things um a lot of people i'm sure are well aware of them now but the mitre attack framework
0: yeah
1: um so again open source completely freely available what they have is the mitre navigator um which is fantastic you can start building up layers so you can start building up um, for example your security controls and map that to mitre so you can see these are all the, the these are the elements that i can see and i can defend against equally you can map to known threat actors to target your sector so you've then got an overlapping map a heat map and go oh i'm not protected well fantastic there's some operational intelligence you now know that threat actors that target you you're blind you can be absolutely blindsided by them yeah. hang on you're now able to direct that budget that finite budget that you've got you can start to drive real value from that all because you you know you spent a couple of days doing some mapping um that's 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 real powerful right yeah um not only for your security team because they're going thank god i can now protect protect the environment successfully but equally when you look at the CISO level he can go to the board and say well, you know what are you doing with the budget how will you reduce risk well, actually, we, we found some gaps. We have now, you know, assessed the risk to the business from these threat actors. And we now know that we are, you know, within reason, protected, we're covered. You can actually start putting metrics on the investment in security or how much you spent that money. Um, and in, intelligence is one that's normally quite tricky to put a value on. You um, kind of, you don't know the value of it until you don't have it. <laughs> and you yeah. go, oh, if only I'd known, yeah. um, that would have been worth an awful lot. Um, but things like that, you can start to get value really, really quickly, just because you can guide your security teams, you can guide your security controls, and then all the way up to the top, you can start guiding budget and, and business plans. Um, for larger organisations, start doing that mapping um, would be my advice. If you're not already doing it, do it because you can start to yeah really tailor your your security operations um, to provide the value that you need. Um, a lot of tools will provide you with um, rules and coverage, but a lot of it is, you know, trend, market. we don't just sell to one, one vertical. Okay. So we've got to cover multiple. So if you want to get the absolute most of your security tools, you've got to then start looking at your vertical specific, what's targeting you and then start layering that on top. And that's when you will start getting, you know, the security wrap that really works for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, the, I mean, I could talk for probably another hour about different things to do and where to start. But, yeah, start consuming intelligence would be the first thing, no matter where it's from. Open source, third party, vendor, however you get it, start consuming it and start applying it. Um, And, yeah, start looking at what's targeting you. What are the real risks? Are you going to be targeted by North Korea nation state actors? If not, why are your firewalls full of rules that are, you know, stopping known exploits used by them? You know we can't have a million rules on a firewall right you've got to you've got to limit where you're at yeah. um so yeah that'd be my advice
0: yeah definitely being able to, and i think it gives organizations a bit more confidence that they're moving from a, a more defensive to a proactive start so being able to take that and acknowledge right okay now we're being proactive we're 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 looking forward in terms of what we can do rather than just sticky plaster everything to try and plug all of the gaps i think is really important psychologically as well as much as it as everything else um and also being able to have tangible value to the cybersecurity investment that an organization is making in these times of of challenging budgets to say the least i think being able to demonstrate that value is is yeah is absolutely yeah, really, really important. So
1: one, one of, the, um, I just think one of the, the biggest questions that I used to get asked in my previous role is when you see something on the news and someone at the board level, or CISO, senior stakeholders have seen it yeah. and the panic sets in. Yeah, they want to know, are we affected? Yeah, that's the biggest question, right? Um, and it happens all the time, every organisation. And the value of threat intelligence is that you can answer that quickly. Um, so, for example, in our, in, in our uh, Vision One platform, we have campaign intelligence where you can actually then go and look at the different threat actors that are currently active and look by, uh, you know targeted sector, countries that they operate in, so you can go in and actually have a look and go, oh, okay, we, we've seen this by Yammered and we've seen this big campaign. We're being asked, are we affected? This campaign, targeting Latin America, it's okay, calm down, we're okay. Yeah the value on that you cannot put a price on because it makes your security team, you know, feel like, yes, we've answered the question. You've got to win it. You're not being targeted. That's still a win. Right. Yeah. So you feel confident because you can answer that question at the board level, the senior stakeholder, you've just, you know, you've got some trust now. Yeah. Oh, my security team, you know, oh, that's really good. You've built that relationship up. You've also then been able to immediately, you know, allay any worry of risk to the board those kinds of just being able to say no it's okay we're monitoring it but we're not affected but just the power of that is yeah, it's incredible, um, and that's what threat intelligence provides. Yeah,
0: okay. Well, I think we're just coming up to the the, the top of where we are um, in terms of the the discussion. I think we've covered a huge amount. So thank you very much. As you said, we we that we could talk endlessly about kind of how, how far we can go with threat Intelligence, because essentially it's just you know it's, it's all of the information about everything else around cybersecurity really. So uh, maybe we'll have to come back and do another one. But in terms of one kind of final takeaway you'd have for, for anyone listening, either in the, the channel community or or in terms of end users of like, what's the most effective kind of day one thing they can do to, to leverage the value of, of threat intel? Um, absolute day one. Ooh, that is a great question.
1: Um, I say go back to my point, just consume some form of intelligence, start looking, be aware of what's going on in the landscape. It might be as simple as going on to BBC News and clicking on technology and start looking at the different threat actors. Um okay, there's there's plenty of security specific news sites. Um you know, just start being aware of what the threat actors are doing on an individual basis. You know, you'll 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 know some names, you'll have heard of Conti before. Um currently at the moment no, we're looking at uh Black Cat, Lockbit. Just start being aware of those names, and when you hear those campaigns, just that little bit of information—it's amazing the power that a little bit of information can do. Um, yeah, and then if you can start ingesting some feeds, there's plenty of open-source feeds. Start ingesting them and using that uh, those feeds um, within your security controls.
0: It will help you. Brilliant, smashing. Well, thank you very much, Lewis. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, Neil. Smashing. Thanks everybody for listening.